chapter 16 again. We want to welcome everyone who has come. Thank God for you. And uh, let us contend for the dimension that we sense in this place tonight to be enlarged in our hearts with every single service. And uh, let us uh, not let go until God has blessed us with what he wants to do in our life. The big news, of course, in the Northwest uh, this weekend was the imploding of the kingdom. Now, some of you don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> that's where the Seattle Mariners uh, play uh, or played uh, up in uh, Seattle. I guess they're rock concerts and other things. And and so it's only been around for 24 years, and yesterday uh, it imploded. They, they destroyed it. And uh, there's an article, maybe you saw it last week in the Oregonian, the contrast between the architect that originally designed the thing and the uh, master destroyer uh, who was uh, going to take the thing down. The architect says these words, I'll defy anybody to tell me it's not a beautiful roof. He said, anywhere you view it, from around the city, from flying into the city, it's a beautiful roof. You look at these other roofs, and they don't stack up. It's the most impressive concrete structure in the world. A Princeton engineering professor and author wrote, in 1997, in a letter to the Seattle Times, uh, he likened the dome's predicament to the death threat the Eiffel Tower once faced. He suggested the kingdom would ultimately become a national historic landmark on par with a Brooklyn Bridge if it were allowed to live long enough. What a beautiful roof! What an absolutely impressive roof. What a wonderful historic landmark. But you're supposed to play baseball in it. And I don't know if you've been to the, going to see a baseball game in the kingdom. It's like going to a baseball game in a locker room. You know, it served its purpose. But here are people, they're all upset because of the roof. It's a beautiful roof. Are we going to destroy this roof? You know, when it was put up, it wasn't about a roof. It was about a place to play baseball. It was about a place to do something. And it really didn't meet the need. And so we're, something else has come through and uh, that is meeting the need. But here are folks who have totally lost touch with their original purpose. And they're pr trying to protect something. They're outraged about something. You know, this can happen to you and I as believers in Jesus. We can forget the essence of what we're all about. That we can become distracted by other issues and lose sight of the real reason that we've been called into the purpose of God. 
Our, the theme of our conference is redigging the wells. That's been the theme of a lot of conferences throughout our fellowship over the years, and maybe even one of ours, I forget, uh, but it uh, seemed like a good one to, to do. To redig the wells, and I want to talk about one well that needs to be continually kept open, and that is the well of a shared vision. From Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing through Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I want us to consider first the thought of strategy. See, this is not a haphazard thing that you and I are involved in tonight. Now, we have never been of those who set these long-range goals and five-year plans, and uh, we have never done that and, and sought to map out some strategy and some very corporate, uh, uh, goal-oriented way in that fashion. But though we do not use the structures and the goal requirements of big business, that does not mean that we're not concerned about strategy. We're concerned about strategy because God is obviously concerned about strategy. Now, how do we know that? We know that from one thing from this passage of Scripture. Here is God forbidding them to preach the, uh, the gospel in Asia and then wouldn't let them go into Bithynia. And he said, well, you know, we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why is he doing this? Because there's a strategy. There's a time, there are people involved, there are directions, there are, these are things that, that only God knows. See, we would like the will of God to be poured out for us in our bowl of Wheaties in the morning. And just, you know, pour out our Wheaties and pump into the bowl, there's the will of God, or, you know, maybe on your latte cup. Uh, as you go through the, the, the drive-through and say, this is the will of God. But, it, you know, it doesn't happen that way. We need to learn from this experience of the Apostle Paul that usually we find direction through a very agonizing process. It's an agonizing process sometimes to find out 
what God wants us to do. Now, of course, the, the, the question that this passage of Scripture just it cries out, it, it, as, it, as I read it, is why couldn't we have had the vision of the Macedonian man way back before we even tried to go to Asia? I mean, have you ever thought that? I mean, if that's what God wanted them to do, if that was His plan and that was His intention, surely the most efficient use of these men's time, of the resources that were involved, is that God would right away show them the vision of the Macedonian man. They would just, wouldn't even bother with Asia, wouldn't even bother with Bithynia, and just head right for Macedonia. But God purposefully doesn't do that. On purpose, He doesn't do that. I wonder how much time of these men's lives that cost. I wonder how much extra money it might have cost. You know, when we feel like we're wasting time and we feel like we're wasting money, that's an agonizing thing to go through. And surely, these men were in an agonizing experience. Was there something wrong with these men? Maybe, you know, God was trying to show them the vision all along. Hey, hey, stupid, right here. And, you know, and, but, uh, you know, Paul and, uh, and Timothy and Silas, you know, they're, uh, they're not really spiritual guys. And so, you know, they're just walking along, you know, let's just go to Asia. And, uh, and God's, hey, you know, and whistle up here, Macedonian man. But, uh, no, the vision was not given. These are very spiritual men. You don't get much more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. Timothy was his own true son in the faith, a very good representation. Silas was his disciple. These, they're not in agony. They're not missing the... They're not wasting time and wasting resources because there's something wrong with them. God is purposely allowing that to happen. They're not willful, rebellious, unspiritual people. But see, we're not infallible. There's only one religious leader that I know on the world scene today that claims to be infallible. He's traveling through the Holy Land right now, and, and uh, but, but he doesn't go to our fellowship, okay? <laughs> In our fellowship, we're all in, we're all fallible, okay? And uh, I, I bet he is too, wouldn't you think? God has allowed them to go through the agony of this experience, and He did this to let them know something, and that is that He is God. He is God. And that he's in charge. And that he will direct as he sees fit. And he is not overly concerned about our comfort. I don't know if you've noticed that. It, 
God has not added a lot of padding to His will for our life. He's not cruel, but He is God. And you know, a vision is no small thing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, I'm sorry, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I'm not going to talk about Paul's thorn tonight, but just the fact that receiving visions is obviously pretty heavy stuff. That if Paul didn't get this thorn, whatever it was, and that's another sermon, it, then it would have destroyed him. If Paul ever had to go through, if everything was a vision and nothing was in of any agony, it would have destroyed the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we have to go through some agonies just to remember who's God and who's the frail, limited, pea-brained, fallible creature down here on the planet. God has a strategy. And we need to agonize through some things so that we cast ourselves more and more in dependence on God. See, Pastor Mitchell has said that the will of God is God doing certain things at certain times through certain people. God has something that he wants us to do, some place that he wants us to do it, particular people that he wants to use. See, understand that in the working out of the will of God for your life. God lifts up one. God may not at that point lift up another. Not because one is necessarily superior, one is inferior, but there's a strategy. And right now, the place that God, the, the target that God has for that arrow is open and it's time to shoot. And God wants to keep the other arrow in his quiver because he knows there's a target coming open in a little while and then he's going to shoot that arrow right into the will of God. See, he gives general direction. Go ye into all the world. We... We follow that general direction. The, the, in the vision, the Macedonian man says, come over and help us. Now they didn't think, now what should we do? Help, help, what does that mean? Uh, I, I, maybe they need, need uh, some education, you know, uh, maybe they need some clothing. Uh, maybe we should start a soup kitchen. What, 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 does, what does it mean, Lord, help? Show us, Lord. No, they knew exactly what help meant. Help meant preach the gospel. That's the help folks need. Because they, were all, they knew what God's plan was, because they knew what God's heart was, they didn't need a major interpretation about what help meant. We have a general understanding. But we've got to look from direction for direction. Sometimes we might get it wrong. 
Well, I know you've never gotten it wrong, but some of us have, uh, some of us have gotten it wrong. And it may be because we're willful, rebellious, impractical, and unspiritual, but it might not be. Because these guys weren't. It's an interesting verse. I mentioned it in our church last night. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31. About Hezekiah, you know, godly king, but he blew it in the whole area of uh, allowing the Babylonians to come and see all his treasure and all of his arms and... And I don't have time to give you all the background. You can look at it. But it says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. So here's Hezekiah going along. He said, yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad. I've seen... The, uh, I've seen Sennacherib conquered at my very gates. I've seen revival. I've seen it all. Yeah, I'm bad. God said, you think you're bad? And just left him. And so Hezekiah said, I'm bad. And so the Babylonians come and say, yeah, you want to know how bad I am? Come on over. And just totally uh, makes the most stupid, ridiculous uh, decision he could possibly make and violated the, his place of responsibility and security. And God says, see, that's what will happen. If I, if I just, just lift off you just for half an inch. And, and we're, we're goners. We're goners. But see, we forget that. We need God. He works through our trying and failing, our aggressiveness and faithfulness to be bold and be believing. These men were not sitting around playing Rummy, you know, just playing, well, what do you think the Lord wants us to do? I don't know. Go fish. Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, has he spoken to you? No, nope, hasn't spoken to me. Got any twos? Uh, spoken to you? And, uh, and like, uh, this is, uh, that's not what they were doing. These were bold, aggressive, faithful men that are just seeking some opportunity, some open door to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And okay, they, they missed it to here and they missed it there, but God was not upset at them for that. See, God is going to be far more upset at us for playing it safe, for never trying, for never, for never having any vision for never having any fire, then he would ever get upset at us because we did, we were stirred, we tried something and it didn't work. We tried something and we missed God. See, we'll want to be, we're so protective of our egos that we don't do anything for Jesus. One of my favorite quotes is, comes from Theodore Roosevelt. It says, It is not the critic who counts, 
not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy course, who are the best, who at the best know in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So, his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's so easy to be a critic and see someone launch out and try and do something. Oh, it didn't work. I could have told you that. Oh. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the, the man who tries the great enterprise, who makes the great effort, who responds to the grand vision, and maybe it doesn't always work out. As far had, has advanced the kingdom and advanced the kingdom of his, in his own life far further than those who are just sitting around waiting for just the perfect thing. I'm going to look at the role of leadership. And if you saw this story, it comes out of Tacoma. Carrie Bingham had been drinking. Been drinking with several friends when one of them said that they knew a person who had bungee jumped from the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in the middle of traffic. The conversation grew more heated. At least ten men trooped along the walkway of the bridge at 4.30 a.m. Upon arrival, the midpoint of the bridge, they discovered that no one had brought a bungee rope. Bingham, who had continued drinking, volunteered and pointed out that a coil of lineman's cable lay nearby. One end of the cable was secured around Bingham's leg. The other end was tied to the bridge. His fell lasted 40 feet before the cable tightened and tore his foot off at the ankle. <laughs> he miraculously survived his fall into the icy water and was rescued by two nearby fishermen. All I can say, said Bingham, is that God was watching over me. <laughs> There's just no other explanation. <laughs> Bingham's foot was never located. <laughs> you know, stuff that strikes you when you're just around with your buddies drinking is not always the best thing. This man's leadership was somewhat lacking. I think that one of the powerful <coughs> pardon me, things that comes 
from this passage of scripture is that when God did give the vision, he gave the vision to the leader. He gave the vision to one man. See, the vision that you and I may be called to fulfill might not be given to us. It might be given to another man. And we understand that the vision that God has given to another man is the calling of God upon our lives. That's what happened in our text. The man with the responsibility and authority to get the job done, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia coming to say, help us. He doesn't give the vision to any of the, any of the other men. He doesn't give the vision to all the men. He gives the vision to one man. And they determined that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God has called it. Well, well, wait a minute. He didn't speak to you. You didn't have a vision. No Macedonian man woke you up in the middle of the night. What do you mean God has called you? Well, yeah, he's called me. He's, he's given a vision to my headship. He's given a vision to my leader. And you know what? I wasn't the one that saw it. But I have made it mine. See, the problem is that Christians, everyone is around, is looking for their own vision. And as we said, God doesn't just parcel out visions like wholesale. God is pretty particular about visions. And if you haven't had one, there's a very good chance that God didn't intend for you to have one. And that God intended you to reference off of one that he gave another man. That doesn't mean that that vision can't be your own. It doesn't mean that that is something that you can't see and love and appreciate. But if you as an independent well, when God shows me, when God gives me my own vision, that's when I'll respond. That's not the attitude of these men. The attitude of these men is God has given our apostle a vision. And because he has given our apostle the vision, then I know that means I'm called to fulfill that vision. Now, if you agree with that, you don't realize how radical that is in light of church, world, Christianity throughout the world today. 
that you would surrender your life. These men were going to go to another nation on another man's vision. They were going to launch into an another continent in response to another man's vision. Now I'm just going to insert this, this. If you don't like this, it doesn't really affect the outcome of the sermon. But it's an interesting thought. Barclay brings out a theory about this passage. You'll notice that uh, in the passage that the pronoun changes from they to we between verse 8 and verse 10. The author is saying, and they did this and they did that and they did it, and then all of a sudden, and then we. There's a change there. And we know that that we, the person who is writing, the author, is Luke. Dr. Luke. That it may very well be that one thing that might have been happening was uh, weakness, frailty, maybe this eye problem that the Apostle Paul wrestled from time to time and so he had to find some help and came across Dr. Luke who was either already saved or maybe Paul got saved. And it was going through a time of personal weakness and frailty and, and discomfort and, and uh, like, why do I have to deal with this? That a vision comes to his life. You know, just when you're getting so frustrated about some of the things that are coming against you, you just keep going. Just keep pressing. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't think that somehow God has left you out because of this thing that you're going through as God might be overseeing the whole thing and using that to bring you to a place where He can give you a brand new vision. was in Troas, perhaps because of an infirmity. You know what I think is very significant about all of this is when the Apostle Paul, however this, he relayed this, he woke up, or if he was in prayer, you know, and said, men, I've had a vision. A Macedonian man calling out to us and saying, come over and help us. 
And they said, praise God. Now, what would we have said? Vision, huh? <laughs> you had a vision. <laughs> right? They believed there was such a thing. That God could do such a thing. And they had total confidence in the character of the man who was speaking it. That if Paul told me he's having a vision, he had a vision, then he had a vision. And it's from God. Now, do you, are you willing to put that kind of trust in a man? They were. Well, men are fallible. I know. And so was Paul. But he had a vision from God. And you and I need to be willing to trust. Somebody has a vision. A vision from God. A vision to reach the world for Jesus. By winning souls and making disciples and planting churches. Now that vision didn't come to us in some night dream. That vision was stumbled upon by our pastor, Pastor Mitchell. He was already doing it before he even figured out that's what he was doing. But see, it's, it, and I know, it's easy in the context that we're in right now and, you know, we're excited and there's a bunch of us around and, and you know, we're not looking too bad and, and uh, we're all dressed up and smelling pretty good and, and just, oh, yeah, man, you know, win souls, make disciples, uh, plant churches, yeah, we're, we're, we're for it. But see, <clears throat> it comes down to what, what are you going to do, you know, son, when you get back home Sunday morning and uh, it's not the crowd that's here tonight. None of us is going to have the crowd that's here tonight when we get to our own church Sunday morning. Now, I'm not talking unbelief. Maybe it'll happen. I'm just saying for most of us, but see, that's when your amen will really ring out. Amen. I believe. Yeah, but oh, down the street? They're not worrying about that. They don't worry about discipleship. They're not worried about standards. They don't worry about, hey, look at man, they're they're busting out the walls. I have the distinct pleasure. <laughs> Every day I come to church of driving by a church that is busting out the walls and and enlarging itself. It's it's just it's a great uh, morale booster, you know. As, uh, as, you know right? Yeah, praise God. And uh, especially since I know that a bunch of our converts ended up over there. <laughs> oh, God, help me. But see, that's when you say, nope. I don't know what they're doing. I'll leave them to God. But I know the vision that was given to my leader. I know what I have been called to do. 
And I have confidence in what the Word of God has taught me and how my pastor has led me that if he's got a vision, I believe it's from God. I want to close with a united front. You know, sometimes we're a little too enamored, we're too a little too fond or <clears throat> in love with our own individual destiny. I, I know you've probably heard some of these things before, but I, I came across them and uh, it's, it's interesting. You know these billboards that uh, were put up throughout America for a while, as done a couple of years ago? You know, just a, a billboard, just quotes from God. No phone number to call, nothing, just uh, let's meet at my house Sunday before the game. God. What part of thou shalt not didn't you understand? God. We need to talk. God. <laughs> Keep using my name in vain and I'll make the rush hour longer. God. <laughs> Love the wedding. Invite me to the marriage. God. That love thy neighbor thing, I meant it. God. You think it's hot here? God. Have you read my number one bestseller, There Will Be a Test? God. Don't make me come down there again. God. <laughs> See, God does have some things that He wants us to live by. He does have a will of God for us, and He does have a destiny for each one of our lives. The will of God, that for which we were born. Psalm 73, 24 says, you will keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. But I fear, and I know that I have wrestled through this in my own life, that sometimes we become too enamored of our destiny. Well, how is this going to work out for me? I mean, I've always imagined myself doing this. I mean, God spoke to me. He spoke to me years ago and told me that one day I would... Maybe he did. If he did, it'll happen. If your heart's right... But you know, sometimes we can make an idol of our destiny. Isaiah 65, 11 says, But because the rest of you have forsaken the Lord and His temple and worshipped the gods of fate and destiny. If your destiny has become your God, 
If your destiny has become your idol, that's what you're serving. You're serving this great vision you have for your life. You know, God is not going to tolerate that. If you want to know how God treats idols, talk to Dagon. Because you might find your destiny. That thing that God told you were going to do something. You might find it with its arms broken off and its head broken off and just the fishy part lying off to the side. And it's funny, there's always a little fishy something about our personal destiny. See, our destiny is not a solitary thing. It's a shared vision. Just as your destiny as a husband and wife, you, have, you are joint heirs. You have a shared destiny. It's not like, well, what's my destiny? And what's your destiny? Well, I, you know, my destiny is in L.A. Yours is in Boston. What are we going to do? <laughs> no, no, you don't get it. You, you both have the same one. In the very same way, you and I have a shared destiny. And we need to be far more concerned about whether we are fulfilling our destiny as a people than just for my getting mine. You'll get yours if you will serve the larger cause of the gospel. We assuredly gathered, the King James said. We concluded some of the more modern translations. Robertson says a very striking word to make go together, to coalesce or to knit together, to make this and that agree and so to conclude. It is the same word that is used in Ephesians 4.16 when it says, from whom the whole body fitly framed and knit together. It is that word, those words knit together through that which every joint supplieth according to the working in due measure of each several part maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. Colossians 2.2 2. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And verse 19 of the same chapter and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Now, if you listen to those verses, it was talking about enlargement. It's talking about revival. It's talking about God fulfilling His work in us as a people and God fulfilling His work in the earth. And that is going to happen when we knit together. It is not going to be fulfilled by a bunch of independent churches off doing their own thing. It's not going to be fulfilled by a bunch of independent pastors fulfilling their own version of the vision. It's not your version. We don't want your version. We have the version. And that's the one we're going to fulfill. Because you know what? We don't all get our individual vision. God gave the vision to the apostle. And that 
was our calling. A vision to Him. Our calling. It's time to stop seeking your own personal vision. Your own... Well, yeah, well, I appreciate what the fellowships are doing, but, you know, this, this is the... It's not the 90s anymore, is it? Uh, what are we now? Uh, this is the zeros, man. And, uh, uh, and so... Uh, and so, I don't know. I've never really liked the way the fellowship does that. I've never really liked to... See, because I'm not talking about the fact that you... Not getting a vision for your city or faith for your city. That's, that's not what I'm referring to. That God wants to do something glorious there. What I'm talking about is dismantling a vision. Recreating your own. That's not with the priorities of winning souls, making disciples, planning, the ch- planning churches, and reaching the world. We concluded that God had called us. You and me. Together. This vision from God is the calling of God upon us as a people. We cannot do the vision without each other. What we do, we must do by praying for one another, guerrilla teaming for one another, referencing off of one another, keeping sane off of each other. Yes, be willing to take some criticism from our brothers sometime. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. And uh, yeah, who does he think he is? Anyway, well, you know, that doesn't need, need to be your favorite pastime. But if your brother sometimes says you, you know, hey, why'd you do that? You promised me. What, what did you do? You, you do that? You, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that's what we do as a fellowship. What, what, oh, you, you know, okay. You know, and, and folks get so outraged. Well, maybe it's because you're working off of your own vision. You've made up your own. I'm not talking, like I said, an individual faith and vision for what God can do in your city. I'm talking about the, uh, the overall direction of a ministry. That's what was taking place here. See, Troas has a very interesting history. It was an actual bridge between the east and the west. It was actually called Alexandrian Troas. It was where Alexander the Great thought that he could join the world together. This is a place of great significance. A place of frustration. Maybe a place of pain. Discomfort. Seeming waste of time. And yet God was launching the gospel into a continent and joining the world together. See, when they crossed that little 
bridge of water, they crossed into Europe. The gospel touched on the continent of Europe. And though we perhaps cannot trace all the genealogies of these things, there's every likelihood that in some very real way, you and I are saved here today in some very direct link to what happened right in this passage. Because some men, rather than say, oh, well, that's your vision, Paul, go for it. We'll pray for you, bud. Pray for you, bro. Do good. See you there. See you there. <laughs> but they said God's called us. And so we'll go. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. But he saw it. So let's do it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. <clears throat> heads bowed and eyes closed perhaps you're here tonight <coughs> you're not a Christian you've never turned from your sins and put your faith the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross for you Jesus Christ is God in the flesh came and lived a sinless life totally honoring glorifying and pleasing to God and extended to our lives that are so unholy so outrageous and rebellious to God he invites us and took upon himself our sin and died there in our place died the death we deserve to die. He was buried and the third day he rose from the dead. He's alive. He's alive in this place tonight. And if you will admit your sin, lay your sin down at the feet of Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, can leave this place a totally transformed life, a brand new heart, a brand new nature, a brand new start in life. All things pass away, all things become new. If you're here tonight, never been born again, but you'd like to be, I want to pray for you, right? There where you're seated, while no one's looking around, lift up your hand. I know we're at a Bible conference, but I know that folks come to Bible conference who aren't saved. Lift up your hand and say, pray for me. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. Or maybe at one time you made a decision for Jesus, but now you're backslidden. You've fallen away from God. You want to come back to Jesus Christ, lift up your hand quickly. In Jesus' name, drop it right back down. I want to talk to the Christians. We have an idea. <clears throat> if we were really spiritual, if we were really in tune, 
would never take a wrong turn. Would never feel like we wasted time or resource or energy. We'd, we'd just hit the stream. I'll tell you, that's not Bible. That's not Word of God. <clears throat> that is in the very agonizing God personally allowed these very fine men to go through that. Not rebellious men, not self-interested men, godly men. Make them hungry for His will. Keep them humble before Him so He could continue to do glorious things in their life. And it wouldn't destroy them. He had a plan that he was working out. Paul may have ended up in Troas because of some physical infirmity. Now this, he might have said. But God gave him a vision for a continent. God's, gonna, God's not mad. Folks who try the, the grand efforts, the glorious enterprises, and they're not blessed with success. God's problem is with those who never try, those who never believe. Think God's got a problem with you, that's where his problem would be. Launch out. Do. Do something for Jesus. Not just your own thing, however. Around the guidance and leadership, your headship, in keeping with a vision. It's not just given to you, it was given to another man. But it is calling upon your life. Pastor and worker, this means a calling into knitting together. I'm sure we've heard many sermons about this over the years. But Pastor, when your brother calls for a guerrilla team, you need to respond. And church people, when your pastor's stands up and says, we're going to send a team to help brother so-and-so. You don't start thinking about the grass that needs mowed and the car that needs waxing and white walls that need a little freshening up. But you sense that there is a God has called us. He's called us in response to this vision. Disciple, worker. I know we've got to reach our own city. That is our priority. That's where we are. We can't spend all of our time running around to other places. But when was the last time you signed up for a guerrilla team and went and helped another church break through? 
that you sacrificed your day and your time. That you traveled to another city to support a small church in a revival meeting with a less than marquee evangelist. Are you praying for one another? God's called us. God's talked to some hearts tonight. He's talking to you about rising up from the discouragement of some missed calls, perhaps. Don't be timid. God hasn't forgotten you. God's not mad at you. He's got a glorious plan for you. Aren't you cast out, down, cast out your version of the vision and embrace the vision? The Pastor Mitchell version. And rather than being so cut up with your own destiny, let's remember we have the destiny. How many is going